Well, good morning, everyone. Oh, how are we all doing today? My wife says it's cold in here. I thought it was hot in here, so I put the air on. Now it's cold in here, so I turn the air down, up. I changed the temperature, so hopefully it'll, it'll, we'll find that, that, uh, that peaceful middle. So. Hey, let's pray real quick. Lord Jesus, we just invite you here this morning. Holy Spirit, we invite you here. Father God, we just invite you here this morning. Lord, let your presence be with us as we dig into your word. Lord, just begin to speak to us this morning. Speak to our hearts. Uh, Lord, allow us to hear from you clearly. Break up. Uh, block any distractions, anything that we may have brought with us today that's distracting, any worries, any anxieties, Lord, just push those aside and allow us to hear clearly from you this morning. We welcome you here, Lord Jesus. We just pray all this in Jesus' name. Last week we started a conversation. Um, I mentioned that we're in the process of, of restarting as a church in many ways. Uh, as we've come out of the last two years, as we're uh, finally getting our feet on the ground again. You know, last summer we thought we were here and be able to do it again, and then the fall came and it all started all over again. And so hopefully this year we can actually uh, begin to restart. And, and as we're looking at restarting, a lot of it right now is building some foundation about who we are, about how we operate, about the uh, way things work in the church, way things should work in our life, way things should work as we gather as a, as a community. And, and we talked last night or last week about uh, our faith and what it looks like to, to flourish in our faith. And there are times when we compare ourselves to other people. We look at other people and they seem to be flourishing in their faith. They're experiencing God. They're experiencing everything. And we look at our own walk, our own lives, and we wonder, what, what am I missing? We, we sit back and we go, there must be more than what I'm experiencing. And... and as we were talking about this uh, last week, we, we talked about how there needs to be a rhythm in our life, something happening in our life, just this, this normal sense of rhythm. And as we build this rhythm with Jesus, we begin to develop uh, just maturity in our faith. We begin to flourish in our faith. We begin to experience, as, as Jesus said, life and life everlasting. And so last week we introduced that rhythm that's, that's going to end up being a part of this church. It's going to be at a very foundational level of this church. And we joked about it. It's a rhythm that we had years ago. We joked about uh, coming back from uh, a meeting, I think up in Green Lake, and we're all jammed in a van and we're trying to figure out what things were supposed to look like. And we had this epiphany in the van, like this huge light bulb came on. And it was a gift from God. It's about 2010 that happened. And then life happened, and we kind of swept that off to the side and forgot about it. But God, over the last year or so, has been bringing stuff back up into memory. And this was one of those things, it's something that we called MG3. And, and MG3 consisted of four simple words. started with an M and then three Gs. Get it? MG3. I know, we are, we are hip. But those four words helped us create a rhythm in our life that, that brought us closer to Jesus, that, that helps us mature, helps us grow our faith. So last week we looked at that first word, which was meet. And, and the word ended up with a question. Have you met Jesus? And how are you meeting with Jesus daily? 
What are you doing every day to meet with Jesus? You know, Jesus is supposed to be the foundation of our faith. Everything starts with Him. And because of that, we should be meeting with Him daily. We should be putting time aside to meet with Him. We meet with Him through Scripture, through prayer, through our quiet time. We meet with Him here on Sunday mornings as well. Now this time you spend with Jesus, this tends to be very personal, very intimate. It's just you and Him. This isn't about Bible study and you know, trying to get deep into the Word. This is just reading the Word. Experiencing the Word. This isn't about mass, uh, doing massive intercession. This is just about spending time in prayer, in conversation with Him. Spending time in silence and allowing Him to talk. This is the foundational stuff of our faith. And if you're, you're meeting with Him daily, you find that you begin to build your faith in your life. If you're not meeting with Him daily, then all of a sudden you discover that what you're building as far as your faith, as far as your life, you're building it on sand. There's not much of a foundation there. Tends to collapse. Now, meeting with Jesus is never something that we arrive at. We never get to this place where it's perfect. It's it's something that develops and grows in us over time. So we start where we are. We talked about that last last week. We start where we are. You're not praying? Try to pull a minute or five minutes aside every day. Take a moment as you get up. Not in your Bible? Take a couple of moments every morning. Read a paragraph. And then try to expand that to a chapter. And then maybe a couple more chapters. Something we build over time. Now today we're going to move on to that next word, which is grow. Meeting with Jesus is our starting point. And and what's fascinating for me is, is, and the church always seems to go through these pendulum swings. Um, When I say church, I mean the, the larger church, the church universal. And, and today, it seems like that pendulum swing is, is swinging back to that place of, of meat, where we're meeting with Jesus, where we're concerned about our, 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 our inner life with Him. There's so many things that, are be, that we're focusing on uh, these days, it seems like. You know, what does your inner life look like? What does your prayer life look like? What is your, how's your soul doing? And there seems to be this fixation these days on making sure that inner life is, is fine. And maybe some of that has come out as, as we're leaving isolation with COVID. Uh, but for many of us, uh, our faith has become something that's incredibly personal, something that we feel like we can just do on our own. We don't need community. We don't need others to walk alongside of us. We can just figure it out on our own. Just me and Jesus. I've heard that a lot. Just me and him. I can do it all on my own. And, and you know, the last two years haven't helped that much when we cleared churches out and went online. I don't know about you, but many of you probably discovered that there's a lot of stuff online as far as the church goes. Like you can pick and choose a service. You can like custom make a service to be everything you want it to be. Like, you know, get good worship from this church, good teaching from this church, good cool kids stuff from this church. And all of a sudden we find ourselves customizing and what's even better is we don't even have to show up live for it, right? We can just like put it all together and watch it at our convenience. Like go to church while you're driving to work or 
driving to the store. It's just, it's so convenient. The problem is, is, is that when we begin to do that, when we begin to move towards that, when it becomes, uh, our faith becomes just this, this personal thing and we don't let anything else or anyone else in towards it, our faith becomes stagnant. It becomes stuck. And what I've noticed is people begin to focus on one or two things and their faith begins to center around them. It's been interesting for me lately because as I talk to to some nominal Christians that I know, they always come to me with these questions and they want to know, why aren't we doing this in our church? You know, your church should focus on this stuff. Now granted, they don't go to church, but you know, your church needs to focus on, on last days. You need to be going and pulling the prophecies out of Revelation out because that's where we live right now. That's the only thing that matters. Or, or your church needs to focus on the numerology that's sitting in the Old Testament that points everything in this way or that way. Or your church needs to focus on these, these extra things that I've read about here off to the side. What I never hear is your church needs to focus on Jesus. I never hear that. It's amazing. And even though we, we seem to be focused just on our inner life, on my personal life, on just me and Jesus, for some reason just me slowly becomes bigger and just Jesus slowly becomes smaller. And our faith becomes unbalanced. Our inner life's important. Don't get me wrong. It starts there. But that's where it starts. The writer in Hebrews uh, says something very interesting to us in Hebrews chapter 5. He, he opens up this, this chapter, and this is such a meaty chapter. He's talking about all kinds of things, about how, how Jesus is a priest in the line of Mechizeldeck and, and the importance of that of ours for our salvation. And you might be hearing that and going, what, what is he talking about? You see, there's this problem in the Old Testament that a priest has to come out of the line of Aaron and a king comes out of the line of David and those are two separate tribes. So you can't have a priest and a king simultaneously. So how can Jesus be both the high priest and the king that was promised because the lines don't cross because he can't be from Aaron and only the priest can come from Aaron. It's a big theological mess. And so the writer of Hebrews unpacks it in this beautiful picture in Hebrews chapter 5. And probably everything I just said flew over most everybody's head. And he knows it. And so at the end, or in the middle of, or end I guess it is, of chapter 5, he says this. We have much to say about this, starting in verse 11. But it is hard to make it clear to you because you no longer try to understand. In fact, though by this time you want to be teachers, you need someone to teach you the elementary truths of God's word over again. You need milk, not solid food. Anyone who lives on milk, being still an infant, is not acquainted with, this, with the teaching about righteousness. But solid food is for the mature, who by consent use, uh, use have trained, who, who by constant use, I'm sorry, by constant use have trained themselves to distinguish good from evil. The writer of Hebrews uses a really interesting imagery here. This is a picture of growth. Moving from milk to solid food. It's that picture of an infant. You know, infants need milk. They can't eat solid food. I remember with my own children, you know, you, you slowly build that solid food. You start with, with milk or formula, and then you move, uh, what, to the cereal and the real mushy stuff. 
And then you go to the baby food, which is like strained peas and kind of nasty looking, especially when it's thrown at you. And then, and then you slowly build and build and build until where my kids are today. Eating cheeseburgers and junk food. You know, slowly you build and build and build. When we have a baby, we do everything for it, don't we? We feed it by bottle. We've got to prepare everything for it. When, when the baby gets a little older, we, we cut up its food for it to eat. And then before you know it, it's eating on its own. It prepares its own food. And the same is true for us in our spiritual walk. The biggest complaint I've heard from people about churches is that I'm not getting fed there. That church just doesn't feed me. And, and what I wonder is, are you still a baby? And that's the picture that the writer of Hebrews is painting here. Look, Sunday morning is kind of baby food-ish. Everything is prepared for you. I take the time, I, write a, I put together a teaching, we prepare everything for you. There's not a lot of two-way here, not a lot of conversation. This is baby food. The problem us is, is many of us find ourselves stuck right here. This is as good as it gets. We, we discover we don't know how to cook. We don't know how to cut up our food. We don't even know how to grow. And so people run from church to church to church looking for better food. But honestly, it, it's, it's still milk when it's just Sunday. Now, Paul gives us a very different image of what the Christian life should look like. And he paints this in 1 Corinthians chapter 9, starting in verse 24. He says this, Do you not know that in a race all the runners run, but only one gets the prize? Run in such a way as to get the prize. Everyone who competes in the games goes into strict training. They do it to get a crown that will not last, but we do it to get a crown that will last forever. Therefore, I do not run like someone running aimlessly. I do not fight like a boxer beating in the air. No, I strike a blow to my body and make it my slave so that after I have preached to others, I myself will not be disqualified for the prize. See, the Christian life is supposed to be about groaning, about training about preparing ourselves and training ourselves to win the prize. It's about moving from milk to eating meat. It's about becoming mature. And there's work involved in that. There's a lot of work involved in that. But the, the question that always comes up is, okay, we need to get mature. What does maturity actually look like? Well, Paul tells us in Ephesians chapter 4. Now, you've got to be careful in this one, because this... This section gets confusing. It's usually taken way out of context. Ephesians 4, starting in verse 11, Paul writes this, So Christ himself gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the pastors, and the teachers. We usually like to stop there, right? Fivefold ministry. Which one am I? We've got tests. There's online tests that can tell you which one of the fivefold ministries are uh, primary in your life, which are secondary, and so on and so forth. There's churches that completely organize themselves just based on this chapter. 
problem is the chapter goes on. So Christ himself gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the pastors, and the teachers to equip his people for works of service so that the body of Christ may be built up until we all reach unity in the faith and in the knowledge of the Son of God and become mature, attaining to the whole measure of the fullness of Christ. Then we will no longer be infants tossed back and forth by the waves, blown here and there by every wind of teaching and by the cunning and craftiness of people in their deceitful scheming. Instead, speaking the truth in love, we will grow to become, in every respect, the mature body of him who is the head, that is Christ. From him, the whole body, joined and held together by every supporting ligament, grows and builds itself up in love as each part does its work. The fivefold ministry are supposed to be there until we get to a place of maturity. They are present for training purposes only while we're drinking that meat. Infants need the fivefold ministry. They need, just think about it, when your children are infants, they need their parents to help them with everything. But as they mature, things should change. And Paul begins to paint this picture of the priesthood of all believers, this picture of community, of how we come together in community. Not just some who are specially gifted, but all of us coming together in community as we are mature. A place where everyone gets to play. That should be the goal of our faith. That, that sense of maturity so that we get to the point where, as Paul writes, we're not just tossed back and forth by every wind of teaching, every, every cool thing that's out there, but we have an understanding of Scripture, of faith, of, of Jesus, where we can discern it and move forward in it. So how do we get there? Well, many of us have tried to do it on our own, haven't we? There's YouTube videos, there's teachings, there's books. But in reality, we can't do it alone. It's like trying to lose weight by yourself. You can usually lose a few pounds here and there, get to 10 pounds, but after a while, you kind of get distracted and stop doing what you're supposed to be doing. But if you had that accountability partner alongside of you, if you had that person that you were supposed to meet at the gym every morning, you would feel guilty if you didn't go there because they probably were there and they would know that you missed it. So when you don't want to go, you still go. Why do you think people hire personal trainers. Yeah, they bring in a lot of stuff, but in reality, it's all about, well, if I don't hire a personal trainer, I'll find an excuse not to go to the gym today. But if I already paid for a personal trainer, well, I should probably go. I mean, I'd, I'd love to believe, and I know Teresa does some of this, I'd love to believe that people, people have much higher, you know, but in reality, it's probably I don't want to say we get together in community for guilt, but there's something when we get together. There's something when we hold ourselves accountable, when we're, we're together. Proverbs 27.7 says this, as iron sharpens iron, so one person sharpens another. There's something when we come together, when we do things together. We begin to push one another. We begin to find strength from one another. And that same model was the model that occurred in Acts. Remember last week we, we read Acts 2, 
42-47. We're going to read this almost every week in this series. This is the picture of what the church should look like. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teacher and to the teachings and to the fellowship, to the breaking of bread and prayer. Everyone was filled with awe at the many wonders and signs performed by the apostles. All believers were together. You know what that means? That all the believers were together. And had everything in common. They sold property and possessions to give to anyone who had need. Every day they continued to meet together in the temple courts. They broke bread in their homes and ate together with glad and sincere hearts. Praising God and enjoying the favor of all the people. And the Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved. This is a picture of community. Of doing things together. And the easiest way for us to grow in our faith is to do it together. To be a part of a place where we can learn with one another, where we can support one another, where we can pray for one another, where we can help one another. And that phrase, one another, that should sound familiar because it's all throughout the Old Test or the New Testament. Love one another. Forgive one another. Pray for one another. It's all throughout the, uh, the New Testament. There, there are 31 different one another's in the New Testament that we're commanded to do. And you can't do a one another by yourself. You have to do it in community. And many of those are extremely difficult to do when the only place of community you have is Sunday morning. So, how do we grow in community in our faith? Well, the first place, it starts here. Hebrews 10. Verse 24 and 25 says this. And let us consider how we may spur one another on towards love and good deeds, not giving up meeting together as some are in the habit of doing, but encouraging one another. And all the more as you see the day approaching. Look, over the past two years, we've gotten in the habit of not meeting together. And somehow over that time, we've reduced the importance of Sunday morning to just what I'm doing right now. Just some kind of teaching. And I don't have to be in the room to listen to a teaching. I can do it from the comfort of my own house, especially when it's online. Look, I get it. Gathering at 10 o'clock in the morning on a Sunday is inconvenient, especially when there are so many better things to do. I mean, there's brunch we can go to. Who'd want to miss that? They plan youth sports now on Sunday mornings. I can sleep in from the night before on Sunday mornings. There's so many better things. But the reality is that what we do on Sunday mornings is a lot more than just singing some songs and hearing a lesson. The actual important stuff occurs before and after the service. This is going to sound silly, but that chit-chat time you guys do after the service when everyone's talking, or the stuff that happens in the hallway there when you're coming in and you're all talking together, there's something holy about that. 
And, and we just push it aside like it's just idle chit-chat. It's not. The Lord is in that. Jesus says, when two or three are gathered together, I'm with them. So while, yes, I'd like to think what I do is important, and yes, I'd like to think what Cindy does is important, but when we come together, it's those things that aren't prepared, that aren't flashy, that become important. It's that moment after the service where people come up and get prayer, or they turn to one another and say, I need prayer for something. That's what's important. That's what we focus on. But it doesn't end there. Beyond Sunday, there there are other things that go on. I mean, Friday night might seem like silly. We all got together and we ate uh, an incredible new form of s'mores that I had never thought of before in my life. Did you know that if you take the Keebler cookies that are striped with chocolate or caramel, and put a marshmallow between them, it's like, oh my, who knew? Who knew? You, you kind of sit there and you go, well, we just sat around a fire, and Jeff had a couple friends there, and we just talked about nothing. And, but the Lord was there. The Lord was there. And we, we stir each other on. That's why things like that, and the Christmas party, and whatever else, when we do a picnic, they're important. They're important. Because it's part of doing life. Now, we start there, but then we grow in other places. That thing that happens on Wednesday night with the women, they're not just watching a video, they're growing. Because what's occurring is they're asking each other questions along the way, and they're challenging each other, and they're getting to think together. And the Lord is growing them. I know... Many don't believe this, but when we get together as guys once a month and have breakfast, although we tend to talk a lot about Marvel and Star Wars, once we get beyond that, John challenges us. You might not all know this. The guys know this. The women don't. Uh, every, at the end of every breakfast, John gives us a card, just a little card, and he says, write three things you need prayer for. And then we fold up the cards, we throw them in a hat, we all grab a hat and we all commit to pray for one other man for the month on those three things. And then usually, people are having conversations throughout the week. Hey, how's that going? Or throughout the month, how's that going? How's that going? But here's the thing, it doesn't stop there. Come fall, we're, we're going to start grow groups back up. Those are our small groups. I've been dying to start these things up for two years. I didn't know how much I missed our small groups until they got taken away from me. We're going to start them back up again. These opportunities to come together in people's homes, to to, to study the Bible together, to, to share each other's lives together, to possibly even share a meal together. Something magical happens in those places because they're a place of safety and security. And not only are you learning Scripture, but you get to learn other things as well, like how to pray for someone. I was first exposed to the prophetic and how to do the prophetic in a small group, in a place with 12 people, 12 other people, where we just sat around the circle and somebody challenged me to try and give a word. I learned how to pray for someone in a small group. I learned how to worship in a small group. 
We grow in those small groups. It's a place where we build friendships. But not only that, we grow in our faith. Now there are two other things we're looking to start as well. The, the first thing, and this you'll hear more about this in the fall, is we want to start a culture of what we're going to call apprenticeship. This idea that we're going to start training people how to do things in this church by watching the people who do it. So, how do we make coffee? There's actually a system on how to make coffee. And, and the idea is, instead of having one person who just makes coffee all the time, they have someone who hangs around with them and learns how to make coffee. It sounds simple like coffee, but let's go further. How do you run a small group? It seems simple. You just invited people to your house and just hope for the best, but it doesn't work that way, really. You just take some planning and maybe even cleaning and, and things like that. So how do you run a small group? We'll have apprentices alongside our small group leaders to learn how to do that. How do you lead worship? You know, you may think that just Cindy comes in here and just starts playing the piano and let, you know, come Holy Spirit, and the rest just happens magically. That's, that's the... I don't even think what that is. But what if she had someone alongside of her learning how to do that so that we could raise up more worship leaders? What if I had someone alongside of me that was learning how to do this stuff so we could raise up more pastors? So we're going to start a culture of that in the fall, from the lowest to the highest. And then finally, we're going to start something called a residency program. Uh, we're picking this up from Multiply Vineyard, and we're going to host one here. And this is a place where we can train uh, future leaders, future pastors, future church planters. We'll meet together weekly, and there'll be projects, and there's a curriculum and a whole exterior education piece involved with it. But we're going to start that up. Now, I realize that a lot of this can seem overwhelming, Joe, how do I get involved in, any, in all of this? I have no desire to learn to play the piano. I don't want to, you know. That's not how it works. Sometimes we think when a church announces something that there's a requirement that you have to be at everything. It doesn't always work that way. This is a lot like what we talked about in Meet. You start where you are and you keep moving forward. Having difficulty coming to church on Sunday morning, try to make a commitment to a few of these. Meet some people in the room. Make some friends. That's the next step. Come to a bonfire. Come to a picnic. That's the next step. Go to the women's Bible study. Meet the guys for breakfast. That's the next step. Join a small group. That's the next step. Help with the small group. Help doing stuff around here. That's the next step. Ask God if he's got a big step. That's the next step. It doesn't happen all at once. We slowly move into it. We build. We build. See, sometimes we treat our faith like it's a sprint. Like we just got to get involved in a bunch of things and then all of a sudden it feels like we're running at 100 miles per hour. And I don't know if you've ever noticed runners who do those sprints. They get to the finish line, you know, 50-yard dash, and they look exhausted because they gave it all. They're like 100%, boom. 
But the problem is, is, is our faith is more like a marathon. This is supposed to go on for our entire lives. This isn't just over in 10 minutes. Most of us are very intimidated by a marathon. It's long, it seems painful, it seems like something we could never do. But the funny thing is that running a marathon is actually something most of us could do if we only train properly. See, if I wanted to run a marathon, what I would have to do is start slowly. I would need to move from walking to kind of being able to jog around the block. If I could get around the block nonstop, that would be a good start. And then I would slowly expand how much I was walking and maybe, or running, and begin to decrease how much I would be walking. Maybe from going around the block, I try to go like two blocks, and then maybe four blocks, and then maybe try to stretch it out to a mile and a little bit more, and a little bit more, and slowly over time, I just continue to increase the amount of time I'm running and the distance I'm going. And it might take me years. Honestly, it probably would take me years. But if I continued to do it, if I trained right, if I committed to it, I'd be able to do it. And I've seen people like me, at my age, overweight, do it. It can be done. Our faith is the same way. If we commit to it, if we train right, in time, we'll grow in faith and maturity. And so that's where grow fits in. Last week, uh, we mentioned that each of these words had a question. Last week's question was, how am I meeting with Jesus daily? This week's question is a little different. How am I growing this week? Not how am I growing today. How am I growing this week? What am I doing? What am I involved in that will help me grow in community? That will help me grow in my faith? That will help me grow in my understanding? That will help me grow in my maturity? What are the things that I'm doing this week that are helping me move from milk to solid food? See, the Christian faith isn't just about getting, or getting a get-out-of-hell-free card. It's about growing and maturing in faith. That should be our desire, to grow. And for us to become healthy, both individually and corporately, we need to be on that track, continuing to grow. Look, if something is not growing, it's probably dying. I used to have this beautiful tree on our parkway next to our, next to our uh, driveway. And it was this burning bush kind of tree. I don't know what it was, but every spring it would just like erupt in red. And it was a beautiful tree. And then a couple of years went by and it wasn't quite erupting as bright and red as it was. And then we noticed like half of the tree wasn't even blooming anymore and the other half was kind of blooming and then it had these weird things growing on it. And since it was on the parkway, the city showed up one day and said, yeah, pretty sure it's dead. And they chopped it down. 
for a lot of us, there are moments where it feels like we're blooming and there are moments where it feels like we're dead. But the difference between us and a tree is we can make the decision to grow our faith, to move forward with Jesus. And all it takes is one step at a time. Everything that is healthy grows and usually reproduces. It's not easy. There's joy and pain. But in the midst of that, we find freedom. So what are you doing this week to grow? Let's stand